Well, it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, New Living Translation, you'll find these words. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, I'm going to just talk about salt for a few minutes here because later on I'm going to come back and talk about light. Salt influences food. It also preserves but it's saying that if, comparing us to salt, Brother Wilson, is saying that if you lose your influence, you ain't no good to God. God put you on this earth to be an influencer. And if you lose that ability, then what good are you to the Lord? Each and every one of you can influence somebody in some circle that you run in or walk in or live in or you connect with. So the question is, are you salty, changing the environment, or you just blending in and losing your flavor. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then put it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, just like light is used, God want to use you. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out to all for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father amen? amen you may be seated you may be seated well this is going to be our fourth and final sermon in this little series that we've entitled be a good influencer and i've been saying that because of the availability of of social media platforms and the ability of people to flood the airways with various content some people are skillfully positioning themselves as influencers and we all know that not all influences are good influences. You know, I've said that as followers of Christ, we should be good influences on our families, in our workplace, uh, in our social circles, or in any space where we connect with people, we should have an influence. The definition I've been using for influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character. Somebody say character. character. On the character, the development. Somebody say development. That's talking about growth and success of people. And on the behavior, somebody say behavior, of someone or something. In other words, you can influence how people behave around you. Amen. Now, if you have not been with us for the first three parts of this, I encourage you to just go back and check it out on our podcast or on demand. I believe it'll you know, fill in some of the blanks that you may not uh, see today. But what I want you to understand is that I believe that if we understand that significance of us being influencers, we have the ability to make significant changes in the world that we live in. Amen? And so today we're going to begin our argument in the book of John, third John, I'm sorry, third John, verse one, one little chapter, third John chapter one, verse seven through 11, third John chapter one. Here we see the apostle John was writing to a dear friend, and he was commanding him and commending him 
for encouraging others in the church to show hospitality to traveling ministers. In other words, traveling evangelists, people who were teaching in different areas. These were not, you know, traveling vacationers. These were people who were traveling to, so, to serve the Lord. And sometimes they needed their needs met. So people would provide places for them to live, give them things to eat, you know, provide for their life, livelihood. And they did that because these evangelists did not want people of the world taking care of them. They felt like, hey, we're here to preach God's word, so therefore people of God should support us in this endeavor. Because if we ask the world for it, then the world could use that against us at a later date. Y'all follow me so far? And so what he was trying to do, he was encouraging his friend because his friend was faithfully doing that for those traveling ministers. But then there was one person in the church who refused to support them, who refused to be a part of it. And in that same way, not only did he refuse others, but refuse himself, but he tried to persuade others not to do it. And so what I want you to see out of this, in this context, I want you to understand this pretext that sometimes, Cliff, it's sad to say, but sometimes, sometimes, not often, but sometimes, in the church, you can run up on a bad, a bad influence. You don't expect it in the, but John wants us to know that sometimes, you can find a bad influence in the church. You came to Jesus today to get your Holy Ghost on. Amen. You came to just reverence and respect him, and you come to strive and run up on him. I hope, that, I'm, hope I'm wrong on that, Pee Wee. I'm hoping that in striving there are no bad influences. But I got to read what John wrote because it lets me know that there is a possibility that in some church in America, somebody is sitting in there, and they are bad. Look at this. I'm in verse 7. He says, for they are traveling for the Lord, talking about those ministers, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. They, we just don't want the unbelievers to support us when we are doing God's work. He says, now, so we ourselves submit, them, support them, so that they can be partners as they, so that we can be partners as they teach the truth. Now he says this, I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrophes, I'm messing up his name, but you get it, who loves to be the leader. I know there ain't nobody in the church that loves to be the leader. You know, just loves. It's all right to be in a leader, but don't let leadership go to your head. I mean, leaders are supposed to serve too. Leaders are supposed to do what everybody else do. Leaders are part of the team. So he said, now look, I sent instructions to him that he was supposed to assist in helping this endeavor, but this leader did not respect authority. He disrespected the apostolic authority of John by not doing what he was asked to do. He said, he refused to have anything to do with us. This dude in the church, and he don't even want to deal with the other leaders. Let me read on. That wasn't my point, but I just want y'all to see that. 
He says, now, when I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only is he in the church and doing some crazy thing, he's talking about us in a bad way. Making evil accusations, not in the church. Say it ain't so. It don't happen in the church like that. But just in case you run into a church where there's folks in there who you need to be aware of, you got to look out for evil influences in the church. He says the evil accusation he is making against us. Look at this. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, but he also tells Cliff and others not to help them. It's one thing for him not to want to do it and just keep his mouth shut. But now he's telling Mose, Mose, you got a good heart and you want to help, help them travel. Don't you do it. You don't need to support them. And I'm here to tell Mose, whoever's telling you that's a bad influence. He said, now look here. Not only does he refuse to welcome travelers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he want to put moles out of the church. Wow. <laughs> now that's just bad. That, that is not a good example to follow. Moles got a heart that lines up with Jesus because Jesus believed in helping people who are in need. And then now, Cliff, I'm just going to use you as an object lesson. Now, Cliff, come and want to put Mo out the church. Say, Mo, you, you no longer fit what we're looking for here in Striver. You, you going out there trying to help folks who are traveling, that, that ain't what our agenda is. And he said, now, when Cliff come off like that, Brother Wilson, Cliff is a... Now look at this. He said, dear friends, don't let this bad example influence you. You got to come to church to learn to follow what is good, not what is wrong, not what is evil. So he says, follow only what is good. And remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children. So when you do good, you're acting like you're a child of God. And those who do evil prove that they do not know. So you can sit in church saying victory belong to Jesus. Want to kick Cliff out. And that proved to Cliff that you don't even know God. You done just been singing to him. But because you want to kick Cliff out, you acting like you don't even The reason John will say that so that way here is because in 1 John, he talks about love in that way. He says that if you say you love God but don't love your brother, then obviously you don't love God. So he's saying here that if you want to kick Brother Wilson out of the church because he want to help the traveling ministers, then obviously you don't know God. 
People know that we know God by how we act around people that don't know God. And we have to act in a way that they can see God in us. Amen. I ain't going to be that long. I'm going to move on. Let me move on. I'm off the church. But look, let's talk about all of us and how we're living now. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, posthumous influence. See, as people of faith, our good influence should continue on after we're gone. The good influences that we have on our family and on friends, and because we are good examples before them, it should leave an impression in their heart and in their mind. So that after we are gone, our good influence could be passed on to the next generation. Amen. So from this passage, which the context focuses on faith, this verse gives us the reason to believe that our influence can live after we're gone. You know, I'm pretty sure some of you right now, like oftentimes I look back at my life and I think about Richard Bolden Sr., my granddaddy. And there are some things that that guy told me that I still remember to the, this day. And he's been dead for almost 35 years. You know, there are some things about my dad that I remember. Even though he's not been dead that long, but there's some things that he taught me when I was coming up. There's some things that Lady Jeanette taught me now that, that still comes back to me, even though she is her influence. Cliff, sometimes when I just want to leave the sink a mess, because I'm living at home by myself, ain't nobody going to see it. But I hear her say, well, you better wash them, even if you don't do nothing but put them in the dishwasher. Still got influence. And so what I'm telling you is that you ought to be making marks in people's lives right now so that after you are gone, if you don't influence nobody else, your influence ought to be enough to influence your children and your grandchildren. Your grandchildren ought to be talking about you after you're gone. And if you're blessed, your great-grandchildren may be talking about you. But definitely your children and your grandchildren. They ought to know who you are. They ought to know what you was about, how you live before them. They ought to know that you're a person of faith. And because they know that you're a person of faith and they see you live out that your faith, when they get older, you got to believe it's going to rub off on them. It's going to influence them. Live to influence the next generation. Not just yourself. Live beyond you so that when you're gone, someone else will still be talking about you. Remember the things that you share. And this is what we find here in this passage here in chapter 11 of Hebrews. I'm just going to read verse 4. He's talking about Abel. And this is the whole chapter of people who live by faith. But in this one, he does indicate that what he did lived on after he was dead. He says, now, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain. They both brought offerings, but God didn't accept the one. God would have accepted both of them because it wasn't like God was playing favorites. But sometimes when you bring things to God, you got to bring them with the right attitude and you can't just bring him anything. See, see, if you're going to offer up something to God, Cliff, it ought to be your best. Even if your best is not the best compared to somebody else, it ought to be the best that you got. 
and all he would have had to do was just best bring the best grain or the best harvest that he had. Don't bring God the beat up stuff. God wants the first fruit. So even though you're, you're a farmer and not a herder, the herder brought livestock, the best cow. Now you got to bring the best corn, the first fruit. You can't just bring God what's been left out there and dried up on the stalk, and all of a sudden now you're going to offer that. To, and then you bring it with attitude. When you're going to give back to God, you got to give it into the room with the right attitude. So it wasn't that God preferred one over the other. It was the attitude and the nature of the gift that caused God some problems. He says, Abel's, offer, Abel's offering gave evidence, gave evidence that he was a righteous man. So that means the other offering must have revealed that he was not righteous. And God showed his approval of his gift. And although Abel is long dead, he, speaks, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. We're still reading about him and all the rest of these folks in this chapter, even though they've been dead and gone. So I just submit to you, your grandchildren ought to be talking about you after you got dead and gone. And you, they can't do that if you ain't got no relationship with them. So if you are estranged from your grandchildren, they need to know you. They need to talk about you. In a good way. I agree with you that, Cliff. In a good way. You don't want your eulogy and your internment to be the end of you. You left nothing behind. Everything about you ended up in the ground or in ashes with you. When you should have been living to make an influence on your grandchildren. So my prayer for myself is that Bolden and Jensen and, 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 J, and EJ, I'm sorry, I got, I got the little one, got the big one. But my prayer is that, man, when I end this life, that them three rascals, because they boys, and all boys at some point in town, little rascals, that they remember something about their granddaddy. I got to make it plain, Anthony. I, I assume that Alvin, since I'm a preacher, I'm talking about some good stuff. But since you, you're right, something good <laughs> about the granddaddy. And that ought to be your prayer, too. You know, I look back, and, and I was, as I was reading that, I started thinking about growing up. And I started thinking about teachers that influenced me. And when I just started meditating, man, Miss McCall, Mr. McDonough, Miss Wilson, all those people just started popping up in my head. And you know, that's over 50-some years ago. Yeah. 
over 50 some years ago. But when I start thinking about did they have an impact and an influence in my life, man, that's all the way back to elementary and kindergarten. People that impacted my life in such a way that I can still remember some of the things that they said back then. So teachers are influencers. Parents and grandparents ought to be influencers. Amen. Let's turn to my next turn. Y'all didn't like that too good, but it's just time to know. You want to leave an influence in the world. Amen. Go to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And before we close with, with our, our brief recap of our text, here we see the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 15. He t- you know, Paul takes a page from Jesus' teaching in Matthew. And here we see him encouraging the Philippian believers to shine like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You know, it, light has its greatest influence and impact in the midst of darkness. You know, if I brought a flashlight in here right now and turned it on, it'd probably just blend in with the rest of the light. You would hardly see it. But if I turn all the lights off, that flashlight would influence this whole room. The point I'm trying to get you to see, Cliff, is that when you just hang around other folk who are like you, church folk, Christian folk, all shining bright amongst each other, you make no impact. But when you go out into darkness to people who don't know the Lord and live right before them, now you're making... And see, what, what we expect that in here. When you come to church on Sunday by virtue of the fact that you're here, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that you're going to shine in here. Because this is an environment with other lights. We're here to encourage one another. We're doing that. But once we leave here, you've got to shine outside the church. You've got to shine before your grandchildren. You can't go around them and then turn your light off. You've got to shine before your friends. Because when you do, then now you can have an impact in that life because once we start hanging with people who are living in darkness, one or two things are going to happen. They're going to be led in the direction of the light or they're going to run from the light like roaches. Some of your friends ain't going to like the light, but that don't mean you turn it off. Your job is to try to get them to see that there's another side of life that don't always involve darkness. So look at what Paul told this dear church. And I mean, he loved the Philippians, man. This is one of his favorite churches. And, and, and because he loved them so much, man, he didn't want them to start living in a different way when he was not with them. So look here, he says, he says in verse 12, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Most of your children will follow your instructions. Will follow your instructions as long as they're with you. As long as they're with you. 
Finley, you know, you with mom and dad. You, most time you followed there in. But the test, Finley, came when you left them. Or when they left you. Are you going to now follow the instructions that they gave you? In here, we're going to follow the end. But the test is when you get out, are you going to follow the instruction? He says, when I was with you, you followed the instruction. Then look at this. Now that I am away, it is even more important. Some of y'all got kids going off to college this year. You better sit down and tell them. It's more important that you do what I taught you to do when you get to college than it is when you're right here with me because while you were here with me, you did it. But now that I'm not there, now that I can't be there every time you turn or every time something comes up, you're going to have to fall back on what you've been taught. And so it's important for your children when they leave you that they leave with some instruction. You should have sown something in their life so that when times get tough, they can go back to what mom and daddy. He says it's even more important. So now as he's talking to the church, he says, now look, he says work hard. Somebody say work hard. That, that just don't go over today. Young folk just don't believe in working hard. That's almost like a curse word. Amen. Work hard? Well, I ain't got no problem with you working smart, but work smart hard. That's right. That's right. Don't be smart and lazy. Work hard. That's, right. That's one thing my granddaddy taught me. That's why I like that word right there, because he put that in me. Work. If you have a good work ethic... So that whenever, wherever you go, whatever you do, people are going to know that you're going to give it your best. Have a good work ethic. If you put in the work up front, then you'll be able to receive the benefits later. When I was in the military, one of the things I remember when my granddaddy told me that every time I went PCS somewhere, the first six months I worked, I was in early, early, an hour before start time. I stayed late, late. Because I was learning the ropes for six months. But I was paying dividends so that when I got ready to go to the gym for three hours, six months later, nobody's going to say nothing. Because they knew that, hey, he's a... And if he's at the gym for three hours, I guarantee you what he needs to get done is already... Work hard. So now, how does that translate to our spiritual life? In order to grow and mature and bear fruit, you got to work hard. You, you're not just going to bear love in your life without working. You ain't going to have no peace unless you work. You ain't going to get no joy, Cliff, unless you. So when you get saved, your work began. You got to bear fruit in your life that is worthy of your salvation. In order to do that, you got to get rid of some old stuff and start doing the new things that the Lord wants you to do. He said, work hard. Work hard. Work hard. Tell your children, it ain't a bad thing to have to work hard to prepare for a test. 
They can't be watching TV and prepare for the test at the same time. They got to. Now, some of your kids are gifted. They just got it. You know, that used to trouble me. I was in an academy with a guy who was like that. That dude sit back there, didn't take no notes, didn't take no nothing. And I'm saying, how could he do that? Here I am struggling. And I got to go to the study group after we got out of class. This dude out there playing basketball. He ain't take not one note. But on Friday when the test results came back, the dude was in the 90s. And that just upset me. I worked hard. <laughs> and I was in the 80s. I worked hard. But my point is this. I knew that I would have been in the 60s if I had no work. If you gifted and you got it like that, but 99% of us ain't got it like that. Some of us just got to put in the he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Somebody ought to know that you saved. Amen. Amen. You shouldn't be no closet Christian if you're working. To show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So if you're working hard and you're obeying God and you have a reverential respect for God and in awe of who God is in your life, then guess what? People going to know it. People going to know that. If your relationship with God extends beyond just here on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever your time is that you meet with God during the week, if it extends beyond that, and if you just gave God a tithe of your week, a tithe, just two hours and 40, it's 24 hours a day, two hours and 40 minutes a day, we, we, we living below the tithe. I think it's safe to say if I'm living below the tide, most of y'all are living below the tide. Because I don't give them two hours and 40 minutes a day. I give them a lot of time, but not two hours and 40 minutes. And so what I'm trying to tell you, at least give them, start with 10 minutes and work your way up. But you got to give them something if you're going to work hard. You're not going to grow into what God wants you to be if you don't spend no time with him. You don't spend no time in his word. You don't spend no time meditating. You don't spend no time in prayer. That's working hard. Obeying God with reverence and fear. Respecting God. Look here. He says, now when you put in the word, Cliff, he says, for God is working in you. Somebody said, let God work. Man, that's what you need. You need to get out the way sometimes. Just let God. He, he's put his spirit on the inside of you for a reason. And now you just need to move out the way, get your flesh out the way, and just let God. Because if you let him work, he's saying here that God will give you the desires and the power to do what pleases Somebody said, let it work. Get out of the way. Just let God work. Stop trying to figure this thing out all by yourself. Just let God work. If you let him work, he'll give you the power to get over some of the things that's causing your problems in your life. Let God work. You've been working long enough and your work is not yielding the fruit. Let God work. Man, say, if you let God work, then guess what? 
He's going to give you the desire and the power. See, sometimes it's our desires that pulls us away from God. So we have to realign our desires to start desiring the things that he likes. Once we start doing that, then now we're allowing him to work in our lives, changing us into something that we were not when we first met him. There's a transformation process going on in you, and you just need to let God Because he wants you to do things that please him. Then there must have been a little bit of fighting in the church there because he had to come back and throw verse 14 in there. He said, now, do everything without complaining. <laughs> Cliff, you say, just, it's a church business, man. It's God's house. Try to do everything without complaining in order. Complain, you just disagree with something they're doing. You know, when you complain, you complain to somebody who won't listen to you. Amen. But when you argue, you form an argument to fuss and fight with, with somebody. And what you got to do is hear what he's telling you and say, hey, you may not agree with everything that go on in striving, but don't start complaining in anger. Try to find out why it's going on that way and why they're doing it that way, but just don't start. When you start arguing, you just go at folk. Complaining, you kind of talking to folk that think like you think. Yeah, you know, you're right. I, I, feel, I feel like that too. They shouldn't have did that that way. I'm complaining. Yeah, yeah you, I'm, I'm right there with you. But then now, you know Cliff was on the other side of the argument, so you come to him, it ain't that, hey, Cliff, you know that now. Cliff, look, why you were sitting there and let them? You should have said something, Cliff, why you? Now he arguing with you, Cliff. You going to put him out, Cliff? <laughs> you know, the reason he had to say this to the church is because when the church argue and complain and the world look in on it, man, that's a bad look. When the world look in and say, man, they over there arguing and complaining and fussing and fighting like that? Man, I don't want no part of that. Man, the people I hang out with, we don't even argue like that. I didn't expect that to go on in God's house. And so he was telling these people, man, hey, look, you know, there was two ladies in the church. You know, if you go back to the first part of, you know, the book that when he wrote to the Philippians, they were just arguing about stuff. And that's why he said, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, you got to put on his mind when you come to church. Because when we argue, fuss, and fight, then that, that really tarnish our light and our influence in the world. Arguing cut the lights off. The world don't see us. What they see now is wicked and perverse. When we start arguing for the fight, they don't see the love, the peace, and the joy and all that. No, they see just the opposite. And what that does say, well, hey, if Jesus can't work it out amongst his own children, them his folk, and they can't get along, why do I need to go over there with them? I'm doing all right out here in the world with my friends. We don't even care on like the church. So he says, 
God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And, it looks at and he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? So that no one can criticize you. You don't want to give the world the ammo that they need to come against the church. Because we are arguing and fussing and fighting. Then he says, live clean. Let's try to live right. Innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked or dishonest or illegal, whatever, however you want to frame that, and perverse people that got a abnormal behavior, people. Man, you're supposed to be light in a world that is full of crooked and perverse people. And we can't do that if we arguing and fussing and fighting because now we acting crooked and per. It is not normal for God's children to fuss and fight. That's abnormal behavior. Just like in your family, you wouldn't think two brothers would fuss and fight or two sisters would fuss and fight. That is not normal. And when abnormal behavior get inside the body, then now you're going to get all type of wickedness. And when that happens, the light of the church is dim. And it goes out. And when that happens now, Cliff, we have no influence. Because the world going to say, it didn't work for you. Why do I need that formula? We got to show them that because of Jesus, we know how to get along with one another. We know how to grow and we know how to perfect our salvation by trying to grow to the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when they see that in us, then we can shine like Jesus was trying to get his disciples to see in Matthew. And so when I go back here and read this now, I'm just going to read it and then I'm going to close. He said, now in Matthew chapter, chapter 5, where I've been reading, in 14 he says, now, talking to his disciples, you got to see yourself as Jesus preaching to you. And this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his first sermon. He had just finished talking about the Beatitudes, the blessed are they that are persecuted and all that. He told them about all the Beatitudes. Then he told them about, hey, look here, if they persecuted the prophets before you, they persecuted me, then guess what? They're going to persecute you too. So he said, you my followers, you got to expect a little bit of persecution every now and then. The Bible said those who desire to live righteous or live godly will suffer. So sometimes persecution is not a bad thing if you're trying to live for the right reason. Amen. If you're getting persecuted for doing wrong, then you deserve that. But if you get persecuted for doing what God called you to do, that's good persecution. I think John Lewis called it good trouble or good something. He said you get in good trouble. Yeah. That's good trouble. When you're persecuted for trying to live right. When you're persecuted for trying to live like God wants you to live. When you're persecuted for trying to love one another like he wants you to love each other. Then guess what? That's good persecution. So now look what he tells them. In, 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 in this he says, after he had finished the Beatitudes and talking about the persecution, he says now, you are the light of the world. Then he used this light to tie it to a simile like a city. So you got to see yourself. You ain't down in some valley right now. 
He done put you on a mountaintop like a city sitting on a hill. And a city on a hilltop cannot. You are not supposed to be hidden, Finley. People are supposed to know who you are. They're supposed to know who you represent. You're supposed to shine in the time that you're living in. God didn't put all that he put in you for the, you to turn you off instead of shining like a light sitting on top of a hill. Now, good thing about light sitting on top of a hill, it can, lights can give direction. Light can also influence. Light can allow, you know, people to see. You know, the shippers used to navigate when they saw lighthouses. That would let them know certain things. And so what your life can do, you can provide direction to people that come into your life. They may be wandering around out there in darkness. But just because you so happen to be in the darkness, but your light is on, they can see you even in the midst of But if your light is off, then you have no influence on the darkness because you are Did y'all get that? So he put his spirit inside of you so that you would shine. So that you would live like you are a light sitting up on top of a, a city. I mean, you, you're supposed to The world's supposed to know who you are. And because of that, they ought to be under your in. He says no one. Someone say no one. He said, man, this is so simple. No one does this. He says, no one light a lamp and then put it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the cliff. He says, God got too much sense to put his light in you and then hide. Hide you. Brother Wilson, he didn't put the light in you to hide you, to put you in the closet so that nobody in your workplace know you saved. Nobody know you know Jesus. Your children ain't even sure. You supposed to be shining that I think we got this thing mixed up. It's not that hard. But I think we make it hard because what we don't want to do, we don't want to feel like we're going to upset some folk because we shine bright. So what we do, like in the world, some people that's educated, they talk to other folk, they dumb themselves down. God don't want you to dim yourself down just to make me feel good. You just need to learn how to talk to me in another way and let me still understand I'm talking to a highly lit person. This is not no 10 watt bulb you're talking to. This is a thousand watts coming at you. And guess what? I'm not going to dim it down to 100 watts just because, no! You need all 1,000 watts 
and I'm going to bring it to you in a way that you can understand so that you don't get burnt by this by the fire, you know. I, I'm not going to burn you with the fire, but I'm going to heat you up with the fire. You're going to know that you've been in the presence of somebody who got the light of the Lord. Gives our light to everyone in the house. Your grandchildren should be getting some light. When them little rascals come from Vegas to my house, the rules change because we operate in different types of light. I operate in granddaddy light. They operate in mom and daddy light. And so my role is not to just give them everything they want because look here, I'm granddad, I'm big daddy. I still believe in, hey, when I say sit down, you've in the crowd, just go ahead, get it all out. I ain't coming to your rescue. I can wait as long as you can cry. And if I was in my younger days, I would whoop them tears. I get up. I'm on, you, you better, you better get up. You, but now, but now I can't do that. I gotta just let them cry it out. Just take away the oxygen, and sooner or later they'll go out. But what I'm trying to tell you, all that is a part of influence of them. So that they know when I go to Granddaddy's house. That don't work. Don't play that with him. I got to act a different way. When I go to his house, I, I can't leave stuff all over. Play. Pick it up. You through with it? Over there in the corner somewhere. I ain't going to stumble over the night when I'm here. Influence. And you got to have that type of influence with people in your life. That's not a bad influence, but just a good influence. And so he says that in the same way, you know, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly. It's not about you. You're not shining to make you look good. You're shining to make God look good. Because they want to say, hey, this is what God done did in Cliff life. Cliff is shining like this. Then now when they see that, they say, man, God must be real. He must be real. If he can change Cliff, if he can change Herb, if he can change Boulder, he must be real. Because I remember them when they was walking around in darkness, when they was living in perversity. I remember them when they was crooked. But now I can look at them and say, man, God must be and that's what the world needs to know. They need to be, know that we serve the true and living God. Yeah. And that his spirit uh-huh. is in us. Yeah. And when we allow that spirit to operate in us, yeah. then when the world see that, then they will want to know. That's where that relationship started with the people that you work with. You don't have to carry your Bible and thump it at the, on the desk every day. Just live right before them. If you're working with worldly people, just do some of the things the opposite of what they do. It ain't hard. They're over there cursing out each other around the coffee bar. You go over there and join in without cursing. Do you know what that curse word means? Where it comes from? 
Is that what, how you want to talk about your wife? Your children? Influence. But if you're afraid to shine, you get desensitized to it, and you can listen to it, and it don't do nothing to your spirit. Man, I'm so sensitive now to cursing, is that when I hear a curse word, man, my neck just tightens up. You know, I can't stop everybody from cursing, but boy, that let me know the spirit inside of me don't agree with some words that people use. It just tightened my neck up, man. I said, God, I can't, but God, it talk like that. But then, man, 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 you used to say some of those same words, but now my spirit say, hey, I'm free from that, but boy, when I hear it, it just quickened my spirit, say, man, there's a better way to communicate with your children, with your wife, with your friends. And I want to say, look, because he delivered me from that by his spirit, he can deliver anybody, man. He can deliver anybody. So we got to be light. And we got to be willing to shine in the world and not just in here. This is the easy part of the light test. Come in and hear and smile. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The real test comes when we walk out the door and get around the world. People who don't say hallelujah and praise the Lord. And then now, do we go there and be influenced amongst them or do we go there and blend in with them? My last testimony. I know everybody ain't going to stop cursing because you... Don't, but I tell you what, when I made a vow to stop cursing and I wrote it in my Bible, two years later I was curse free and the people that I hung around knew I didn't curse, even though they kept cursing, they didn't curse around me. They had enough respect for me to not curse around me, even though they still curse when they weren't. And so what I'm trying to tell you, every now and then when people know that you have changed, they will respect you for the change that you made in your life. And that's light shining because now you're not being like them, you're being light amongst them, and now they respect you. And eventually, one day, if you keep shining on them, one day something's going to wake up in them. And they're going to figure out, hey, I can live my life without that too. Let's be good influencers, man. Let's, let's influence our community, our family, and, and our friends, and the circles that we run in. Let's be yeah. good influencers for the Lord. Amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed.